Hi, this is Dr. Linda Mintel. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Our website is filled with more encouraging interviews, all accessible at MyFaithRadio.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mintel, the relationship doctor, and I'm here along with my co-host, the other Dr. Mintel, my husband, Norm. And every weekend, we are here, we're doing life together, and we're so glad you've joined us. Indeed, we have. Can't believe it's a weekend already, but, uh, you know, it just happens quickly. They just keep coming. They keep coming. They don't stop. I'm glad they keep coming, actually. <laughs> I, well, I look forward to it. <laughs> That's right. And I look forward to doing the show. Uh-huh, indeed. You know what? I know we're talking about a topic that you're very, very passionate about, mm. and that is how many people think using cannabis, which is the tricky name for marijuana, will help them deal with anxiety. But before we get to that specifically, let's talk about how common cannabis use is these days among both teens and adults. You know, it's really common, Norman, as we're going to talk more about this. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is because the public really needs to be informed. And we need to be informed by the science, Mm -hmm. not by how people feel and all these opinions and all these anecdotes we see online. That is not science. And so I'm coming from a science perspective on this. Marijuana is big business. Mm -hmm. And that big business is what's really driving the legalization of this drug, not science. The attitude's very casual about pot, no big deal. What's the big deal is just like having a drink or it's just like uh, having, you know, some other type of drug. Well, it's not. It's very different. Recreational marijuana use is increasingly seen as harmless, but our our show today is going to talk about how not harmless it is. Mm-hmm. And that whole idea of recreational implies that somehow this is safe. And it's not. Right. And especially when we talk about kids, teenagers, there was a conclusion from a huge study that included over 68,000 adolescents Mm -hmm. aged 12 to 17, and it was reported in the Journal of American Medical Association. What did they find? Well, like you said, it was a big study. And this is is what's happening now. Now that we can test this on human beings Mm -hmm. because people are using marijuana legally, right? Now we can start seeing what's happening with people. And we still don't have a lot of long-term data. But what we're finding out is with those who are users, so these are not the ones that were addicted. These are just the people that were using it regularly. They were two to three times more likely to have depression and suicidal thoughts than those who didn't use at all. Those who have cannabis use disorder, which means they are having an addiction problem because they can't stop despite the problems they're having, they're four times more likely to have depression and suicidal thoughts. And then they looked at with the ones that were kind of regular users or using, you know, a couple of days a week, and they found that marijuana was linked to not doing well in school, to skipping school, getting in trouble with the police. And the more that those teens used it, the more negatively it affected their thinking. Hmm. So this was not what the academics would call a causal study. 
Instead, it's a study that shows association, which means cannabis use was directly connected to all those findings and those feelings. That's right. And the reason this is so concerning is that teens who are anxious are now using cannabis as a way to calm down. And, you know, a lot of them are looking at their parents and seeing their parents do that Mm -hmm. and think that this Mm -hmm. is an appropriate way to relax. But their brain is very different from the fully formed adult brain. And this is becoming very commonplace because people think, oh, it's no big deal. It's right. not. It's harmless. Right. There's. It's not. It's an effective way um, to you know really use this as a calming technique. But it is not, and it is dangerous. And we're going to see more and more problems. We're already seeing lots of problems in the emergency rooms and problems with kids getting edibles and a whole bunch of things that are happening. We had a president who said, oh, I use, I use marijuana. It's okay. It's not I know. So that just give, gave it permission. permission. Right? right. And here's the thing. Teenagers should not be using any substance because their brains are still developing. And this substance impacts the gray matter of the brain. Hmm. And that's this is where there's gray matter and white matter. One has to do with connecting and one has to do with a lot of where the neurons are. It gets real complicated. But basically what's happening is it's affecting a lot of places in the brain that you don't want affected when mm-hmm. your brain is developing. And the, the chemical that is in pot that is named THC, most people know that, Mm -hmm. is very unhealthy for the brain. And yet we're seeing a rise in teen use of about 18% because they think it's no big deal. Mm. And then there's this whole list of problems with cannabis use and the teen brain. Tell us some of those. Yeah, so here we're getting to get very specific. So it's associated with cognitive and executive functioning problems. And that means that that's the part of the brain. You know how people are so concerned about ADHD Mm -hmm. because the the executive function of the brain, people are impulsive and they, they can't wait for things and their judgment isn't good because that part isn't functioning well. Well, cannabis affects the same part of the brain. Hmm. And so what we're seeing is that people are having trouble with their working memory. That's the short-term memory that most of us have for just remembering facts as we're going through our day. And then judgment problems, planning problems, self-regulation problems, um, you know, decision-making, planning, like I said. And there's even this lack of attention and a problem with what's called episodic memory, which, Norm, all that means is your ability to recollect things. Mm. So your ability to say, oh, yeah, when I was 10, I had a party with, you know, dinosaurs, or probably a little old for 10, but, you know, that that ability to just recollect things. Mm -hmm. So it affects that part of your memory, too. And then the most concerning part of cannabis use and exposure is that we're seeing a four times increased risk for adult psychosis. Wow. Which can lead to schizophrenia. And this is with no psychiatric history, just simply tied to the cannabis use. So all of this is really impacting the brain. All of that is scary. Here to me is something scarier. All of this recreational cannabis use is being driven by multi-billion dollar corporations Mm -hmm. who have lawyers who are concerned about profits, not your health or your mental health. Legalization, as it's happening state by state, is all about money, not the impact on real people. Right. And and the reason I'm so concerned about this is because this whole movement 
has not gone through the normal FDA approval testing process. So whenever a drug comes on market, usually we have this very robust testing. Mm, very remember, rigorous. Remember how upset people were with the vaccines? Yeah, the vaccines with COVID. Yeah, right. either they've been tested, how often. Right. Cannabis has not gone through any of that. It was commercialized first, meaning it was sold for profit, and there really is absolutely no medical evidence to this point for the use of marijuana for anxiety. Mm-hmm. In fact... The FDA hasn't approved marketing, any kind of marketing application for cannabis for the treatment of any disease <laughs> or condition. So to date, there are a few exceptions where there's two rare epileptic conditions, seizure conditions, mm-hmm. that the drug is approved for. It's also approved for some some people with MS and because of the movement in, involved, the movement disorder involved, and also for nausea with cancer. But that's it. Other than that, this is a federal, this is a schedule. Schedule one drug, which means it has absolutely no current acceptable medical use and has the potential for abuse. So why do we call it medical marijuana then, since they're a boatload of all these conditions? Yeah, that is the question of the day. That mm-hmm. It's just so wrong, in my opinion, to be calling this medical marijuana. In fact, I want to tell the public how this works. Okay. So what happens in most states is that you you can go to you know your you can go to a website in some places you can just get a, a request that you can give to a physician that you want medical marijuana that's just a form you fill it's out it's just a form um, and you, well you go and you make this request and say mm-hmm. I, you know I'm feeling anxious so I I would really like some marijuana to calm down now the problem is the physicians have this list in their states of all these things that they can give a recommendation for, but they're not based on any evidence. So I really am not understanding why physicians would do this. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. It, to me, it just is like bad practice, right? You're giving a recommendation for a drug that has no evidence base for that condition. Mm-hmm. I mean, who wants to do that? So basically what you do then is you get this recommendation mm-hmm. from the physician. The physician does not prescribe I want people to understand that a physician assistant, an NP, a nurse practitioner, all the prescribers are not prescribing you marijuana. They're giving you this recommendation paper that then you take and you give it to a cannabis dispensary. The guy who sells it at the store. Yeah, they're called bud tenders. Bud tenders. That's what they're called. (laughs) And you give it to them and then they decide what to give you, what kind of, how much, what it's going to look like. It just doesn't even go through pharmacists. Wow. Um, and, And so this is just such a loosely... Prescri- it's not even prescribed. I don't want no. to ever say that. I want to say it's it's a recommendation. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I get Groupons all the time to tell me to get my medical marijuana license, and um, I can do it at a discount. So that you can recommend, or you can so buy that it. I can get it. Oh. So that I can get it for my physician. Oh and my it, gosh. I can pay for it. Um, it's and they give you discounts on getting it. They make it so simple and so easy. And then you can go online, and as long as a physician signs off on it. Or a prescriber, you can go ahead and go to the dispensary. So, where's the protection for the for the buyer, the user, uh, the consumer? I mean, there is none, is there? This is out of control. No, you just fill out an online form, and then you just need this physician recommendation, and then you just go to your dispensary. And so, here you, you've got people with no medical background right. who work, um, and and they're recommending what you should have and how much you should have. Do you remember when we were in California mm-hmm. and we went to that dispensary, mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. so upset because. <laughs> They were telling <laughs> pregnant women yep. that they should use this for nausea, yep. and they're not medical. They have no medical background, and in fact, 
it's a no-no for pregnant women. Listen to me, if you're a pregnant woman, this can relate strongly uh, to low birth weight. And we don't know what it does to the fetal development of the baby inside of you either. So if you are pregnant and somebody tells you to use marijuana, you firmly say, no, thank you. Wow. Good grief. Okay. You mentioned all of these negative impacts. Are there even more? I'm going to guess there are. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, there's so many. It's kind I mean, of like driving when you're drunk, right? Is that well, a yeah, thing yet? Well, yeah. They drive slow usually. So usually you see this is the people going 25. Oh, that's the- why you tell me <laughs> we're driving and somebody's in front of me and she goes, he's probably altered. Yeah, he's probably high because he's driving like 25 miles an hour on a 65 mile an hour road. And, you know, we don't have any way to test that. We don't have breathalyzers for this mm-hmm. yet and ways mm-hmm. to test what's going on. So a lot of people are driving high. And what we're seeing is an increase in car accidents. Mm-hmm. So emergency room people will tell you more car accidents. And then there's the lung irritation, which results in an increase in bronchitis and damage if you smoke it. Well, there's no filters on these like cigarettes, right? Well, it's it it's either one of them does da- lung damage, right? Okay. So they, okay. they do lung damage because of what's in them. Um, and what's there's there's more there's heavy metals in marijuana. Oh my goodness! And so that can really um, mess you up in the long run. And then of course there's the potential for addiction. Ten percent of people get addicted, and then unintentional overdoses among children because they get a hold of edibles and they think it's candy. And then the big one I want to just keep bringing back the increase in schizophrenia and depression. And then low birth rates and more for pregnant women. We also see effects on heart rate and blood pressure and balance. Okay, you said one that really kind of scared me, this unintentional overdose by teens and children. Because ER rooms across the country are reporting more and more of this. I remember a headline in People magazine a couple of weeks ago that read, Six children hospitalized after ingesting cannabis-infused candy at a Florida Boys and Girls Club. In one of the emergency calls, the caller said a six-year-old female brought in edibles and then fed them to all the kids. Yeah, so where did she get those edibles from, the yeah. six-year-old? That's what I want to know. Home. Yeah, eight. Well, I don't know. I didn't, read, I didn't read that part of the story. But here's what happened. Eight children ate the gummies and six were hospitalized. Mm. And they were all cannabis gum- candies. And the gummies are often packaged to look like candies. Remember when they did that with candy cigarettes? <laughs> That's right. And they were marketing those to kids. We thought we were cool. We yeah, would smoke the same, and then eat the sugar. <laughs> the same, but the same kind of stuff here. Uh, the cannabis candies now also contain doses of THC that are strong. I mean, way stronger than what they used to be years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when children ingest them, they can suffer really serious health problems, in, including confusion, hallucinations, fast heart rate, vomiting. And it can lead to some serious side effects. These are rare, but it can happen, seizures or even breathing issues. Good grief. Here's something people may not know. The risk of a life-threatening issue is higher with illicit or unregulated cannabis edibles. These are more likely, it seems, to carry what you were calling those heavy metals, Mm -hmm. pesticides, Mm -hmm. or other substances like, uh uh-oh, here's the bad one, fentanyl. Yeah. And we've heard so much about how that's killing people. So this is not regulated. So so, so how they're making these products, what they're putting in them. And then I I heard a very sad story from a mom who her son tried pot one time and it was laced with fentanyl and he died of an overdose. So you don't know, and it's it's just a reminder that although cannabis possession is legal in some states, it still is 
illegal on a federal level. Mm. So no federal regulations regarding the packaging, the ingredients, none of that is regulated. And the other thing about edibles is that the impact of that doesn't hit you for a little while. It can Mm -hmm. take an hour Mm -hmm. or two. So one of the things that happens is people eat more of them, thinking they're not getting the high that they want to, and then they're getting a very strong dose of that that uh, THC that's in those edibles. And like we said, sometimes they're laced with other drugs, and um, that can be deadly. So we talked earlier about uh, a lot of people using cannabis now to cope with anxiety. Anxiety is one of the most prevalent mental health disorders, and you're seeing a huge rise in cannabis from your population of, of people, of patients, and you've written about anxiety. So do those two things work? No, it doesn't have any calm. It doesn't really work as a a way to um, get rid of your anxiety or deal with your anxiety. What happens is people get this intense feeling, and they feel altered, and so maybe they don't care. But it's not really treating the anxiety in any way. And it is really concerning. In fact, I've had to teach our medical students when they ask about drug histories. I've had to have them say, when they say, "Do you have you used any drugs, whether illicit or prescribed? People say no. And then I say, make sure you say, have you used pot or weed or cannabis? And they'll go, oh, yeah. Because they don't even consider it a drug. Right. They don't even consider it something to report. So it's so common. And Norm, people are just using it to unwind with absolutely no medical basis that this works, but they think it's effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's so legal and people are talking about it, they think that it must be something that could work. Mm-hmm. Well, what we found is it's now, today's marijuana is up to 300% more potent than cannabis from the past, which to mm-hmm. me says this ain't my daddy's weed from the 70s. So why do people think it helps with anxiety? Yeah, I think it's just complete misinformation. And boy, you get the advocates for marijuana, and they just are on message that this is so helpful. Mm. And, and, and you know, people have their own perceptions about this. People listening to me might think that I'm overreacting to mm-hmm. this as we go, but I'm trying to find, follow the science. And actually what we have found with anxiety is the higher the dose, the more you use it, the more anxious you become. Wow. But for some, even a tiny bit makes them anxious. So what it does is it basically turns up the volume on the way you feel, which is why people feel more intense feelings when they're high with this. It's a sensation that people like, Mm -hmm. but there isn't a molecular reason for stress relief. There's nothing there that says it turns down the stress. The drug enhances how you feel, but it doesn't calm or work on the roots of your anxiety. There's so much material here, Linda. If it's okay with you, we're going to forego the break in this program and keep keep giving people such good information. We were talking about findings of cannabis use and related to anxiety. Tell us more about that. I just want to stress that when we're looking at the studies on anxiety, depression, and other mental disorders, The analysis that we're seeing over and over is finding no benefit. And even I know that there are a lot of veterans that are listening out here, and a lot of times they'll talk about using it for PTSD Mm -hmm. as a way of kind of helping. But I've been following those studies, and they are really not showing benefit. In fact, they're finding a a reverse effect. I think we have to be really careful with what we feel might be an enhanced effect from a drug, 
but is that drug actually doing what we need it to do to help us to get better with something? It sounds like it's really more distracting us from the feelings. Yeah, and and maybe the people think, well, that's okay, but then there's all this harm that is also being done, and it raises the risk of you know an onset of a psych- psychotic disorder or a mental health disorder, and people get dependent, and then they get a tolerance, then they need more, then they're using more, and it becomes this vicious cycle. So, you know, here's the thing too, Norm, the effects of of weed can even vary with each experience. Hmm. And it may be influenced by how anxious you are when you ingest the drug. Hmm. So a person could smoke or ingest the drug at the same amount of cannabis on two different occasions and have two completely different experiences. And this is research that's being done at Johns Hopkins um, Medicine. And he says, the the researcher there says, it's just really hard to predict. Because if you're in an anxious state when you use it, you may have a different effect than when you use it at a different time. So this is complicated research. And we've put the horse, you know, before the... The the cart cart before the horse? (laughs) We put the cart before the horse. Thank you. I had that backwards myself. Where we've commercialized and legalized something without really understanding the dramatic effects of it. Okay. So... I need to ask you a question about sleep, because it seems to me that people get drowsy and they probably think, oh, this is a good sleep aid. Yeah, and we know people who use it for sleep. And uh, again, there's no evidence that it helps in the general population of people, despite what people claim. Now, this research is complicated Mm -hmm. because there are some factors involved here that we're not going to go into in this show, but just in a general statement... Okay. Um, it, the evidence isn't there. Okay, here's the big word, life satisfaction. Does this make us feel better about ourselves and our life? Well, again, I'm going to go off the data. And according to the data, people who use large amounts of marijuana frequently do not do not report that it makes their lives huh. better. In fact, they actually report lower life satisfaction, poor mental and physical health, and more relationship problems. And in terms of their academic or career success, there are more school dropouts, job absences, accidents, and injuries. Well, in our closing few moments, let's explore a spiritual application to all this. The appropriate use of medications is, of course, morally permissible for Christians. Yet, at this stage, it seems to me we're unclear exactly how marijuana or products that are derived from marijuana can be appropriately used. Yes, and we're not talking about CBD here. We're just talking about cannabis, right? THC products. The Bible does give us principles which should guide our thinking. So wisdom mm-hmm. dictates Christians wait for the best research and only use medications derived from marijuana under guidance of a physician or pharmacist that is going to really look at your individual case um, so that they can control and they can look at things, whether there's cancer, nausea, or what's going on in your life. Not this sign a form, get a recommendation, and go to a dispensary. Right. We're saying that the legalization of medical marijuana has brought a brand new wave of cannabis-based medicines into the market, many of which make ridiculous and unproven claims on their advertising and their billboards, and they certainly seem to have the potential to lead to drug use. When you listen to the claims about medical marijuana, I think we should just pop back to Proverbs fourteen fifteen. <laughs> I love this, which says, the naive believes everything. But the sensible man considers his steps. Let's wait for the science. And spiritually, let's consider why would we turn to a substance and not to God for anxiety? Mm -hmm. I mean, I wrote a whole book on anxiety and how God can help you with that. 
you know, we have good sound treatments for anxiety that we know work. And we know that faith plays a major role in calming people down, renewing their mind, bringing peace and contentment. And this is part of the whole thing that we're talking about from the faith perspective. Being filled with the Spirit Mm -hmm. leads to more self-control, along with a whole list of other powerful spiritual fruit. Whereas getting high leads to a loss of inhibition. Marijuana clouds our ability to perceive the work clearly. It dulls our sense of urgency about what Christian disciples should be doing. It leads to dependence on a substance rather than dependence on God. Mm-hmm. And we're not to be mastered by anything. No, in fact, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. So we must consider what we put into that temple and how best to care for our body. To sum it up, let's just say this. Be wise in choosing, quote, medicines that are unproven to be medicines. Look at what's happening in our culture. Some say this wave of marijuana use is similar to the opioid epidemic, when, by the way, there was also a lack of evidence to prove the effectiveness of Mm -hmm. opioids for many conditions, and yet our world was gripped by um, a terrible medical epidemic. So if you have anxiety, get help from a Christian therapist who can lead you to stronger spiritual formation and really get good non-drug approaches to getting better with anxiety. Don't use a drug that hasn't been proven to help it. Stop listening to opinions and subjective experiences. Arm yourself with truth. That's all the time we have today. Many thanks to our producer and my co-host, Norm Mintel, who makes the show a conversation, and our technical producer, Katie Sims. From all of us here at Faith Radio, hey, we'll talk to you again next weekend. In the meantime, remember, we're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. Well, thanks for listening to this conversation from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and helping us grow the impact of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player, and you'll never miss a show.